Okay, so let's jump into our uh, teaching time. And uh, this is kind of part two of last week. Uh, we're coming into the season of Hanukkah. It was corrected. It starts tomorrow night at sunset. Is that right? Tomorrow night? thought it was tonight. Okay. Always a day early. So uh, it starts tomorrow night. We, we talked about this last week. I want to pick that up this week. I've entitled this Hanukkah, Light in the Darkness. Think about it. The primary symbol of Hanukkah is light, as seen in the Hanukkah menorah. And this festival called Hanukkah, if you remember, by the first century, takes on a new name. And that is the Festival of Light. They called it the Festival of Light. Yeshua made the point of traveling four to five days, probably longer because it was winter, to be in Jerusalem. His base of operations was Capernaum, north of the Sea of Galilee, up in the north part of Israel. And to walk that distance to Jerusalem would have been four or five days with good weather, probably longer since it was the winter. So obviously he made it a big point. He was there on purpose at the festival of light. Why? Why? Think about that. Maybe it's because he's the light of God. He's the light of the world. Why not be at the festival of light in Jerusalem, right? Think about this. In him, we are lit up like Hanukkah menorahs with the life of God. In fact, we become menorahs that light up the world around us. Through the light of Messiah in us, the lost are finding their way home. The sick are being healed, and the addicts are being set free from their bondages. He is the bondage breaker. So light a Hanukkah menorah and celebrate Yeshua, the light of God who has come to enlighten everyone everywhere. Let's pick up this idea of Yeshua being the true light. In John chapter 1, we'll work down through this. We're familiar with this text. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. And then verse 4. This is our verse today. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. What is that saying? It's simply focusing on the fact that Yeshua is the source of life itself. He is the source of life, eternal life, that indestructible, immortal life that in him we get to share in. That life of Jesus, that life of Christ, it is the very thing that awakens us. Being born again is our spirit waking up, our spirit having an encounter with the light, and then we get lit up. We awaken from our sleep, our sleep in sin and shame. We get lit up like a Hanukkah menorah. It's his life that awakens us. It's his light that illuminates us. It's his glow that inspires us to live a better life for his glory. Verse 5, John says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
our world is described as a world of darkness. It uses light and dark as a metaphor in terms of describing this world. And the light of God coexists with the darkness of this world. It understands the darkness, but the darkness doesn't understand the light. Jesus, he understands our world and the sin and the shame and the brokenness. He knows the whole thing inside and out, the end from the beginning. But the darkness is clueless. The darkness doesn't know who Jesus is. The kingdom of this world is confused about who the Messiah is, and that's why it's lashing out in every generation trying to find and kill the Messiah and his people. The darkness doesn't understand who he is. See, this world is captivated with darkness, confused. It's the darkness that conflates and perverts truth. That's what the enemy does. He's always changing the truth. He's always perverting that which is true and genuine. We see that early on in the garden. The big point to be made, of course, is do we need light today? Do we need to speak the truth today? I would say yes more than ever. We've never been so confused in all of our life. Think about it for a moment, right? Just, just you know, I believe, I believe we're supposed to let our light shine in the darkness of the world, not inside the church, right? We got to go outside and let the light shine. The light is for the world. We got to speak the truth to the world. We got to speak truth to power that's corrupted. That's our job. So think about the world and how messed up it is. Biology. Biology. We call it one of the hard science, sciences because it's just like uh, able to demonstrate truth. Think about how messed up we are. Sexuality, gender. How many genders are there? Well, there's like 60 plus genders. How, how do you get that wrong as a biologist? How could that ever be? You know, I mean, think about that, right? Do you think biologists who are believers have a responsibility to speak truth to a culture that's completely confused on the basics of biology? Cosmology. Think of cosmology. We have celebrities that are telling us that the world is flat. Think about that. We are so confused. Truth is so what? Muddled and conflated with just the craziest ideas today. Medicine. We're told that the science is settled with the vaccine and the cloth face masks in that they stop the transmission of the virus. Really? No, I don't think the science is settled. It's far from being settled. You can look at any aspect of our culture today, and there's confusion everywhere. Think of religion. Think of religion. The idea today is all paths lead to God. Jesus is just one of many paths to God. It's just simply not true. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Here's another one. The law has been abolished. 
Really? You know, we, I was talking with uh, uh, one of the members here, and he told me, he says, uh, yeah, I had, had a friend tell me uh, that the law has been done away with, and he says, well, where's that? She says, well, it's in, it's in I think it was Matthew chapter 5. You know, Jesus said that, that he abolished the law. He says, no, it actually says the opposite. It actually says, Jesus is saying, I did not come to abolish the law. Now, how can a believer get that quote upside down and completely backwards? How is that even possible? It's because we are not pursuing the truth. We're just pursuing whatever is popular, whatever our culture is saying is true versus what God is saying is true. The light exposes lies and reveals truth. Our God is a God of love, and he's also a God of truth. And he's come to bring us the truth so that we can be saved. Those that love the, uh, uh, the truth, they'll discover it, and they'll walk in it. Those who do not value truth, they're the very ones who are prone to deception and delusion. I want you to think about that. Those who love the truth will discover the truth. Those who do not have a high regard for truth are the very ones that are prone to be deceived and come into a delusion. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5-12. through 12. Most scholars put this at the end of the age. Paul says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness. Yeah, something mysterious about that, subtle about that, deceptive about this idea that we're free from the law. Lawlessness. Not free from law, but the law of God. In fact, if we were to put that back into the Hebrew, it's Torah-lessness, less and less Torah in every generation. That's the mystery of lawlessness. What characterizes the end times is not legalism, it's lawlessness. That's what's characteristic. It goes on to say, then that lawless, lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Yeah, who's deceived in the end? Who's prone for the deception? Those who have no regard for truth, they're automatically set up to be led astray. Verse 11, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence. I, I, I am bothered by the word of God. I'm shocked by the word of God. When you read and study the word of God, it, it turns upside down a lot of our preconceived ideas of who God is. Who, who's sending the deluding influence? God. It says, for this reason, God will send upon them who didn't love the truth. God will send. God's the one that initiates and orchestrates 
the deluding influence. God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Wickedness being a manifestation of the mystery of lawlessness. Wickedness is the rejection of the royal law of our God in favor of the popular law of cultural correctness. Whatever the culture says is good, is good. Whatever the culture says is important, is important, right? Whatever the culture says is right, is right. And the church, in the synagogue, that does not highly regard truth, will follow the culture in what it's saying and doing. This was what Paul refers to as the great falling away. Lawlessness, less and less Torah in each successive generation. You know what the bulwark is against that? A love for the truth, a pursuit of God, and what he says is true. That's the bulwark that keeps us from falling into all of this nonsense that, by the way, is very seductive, very compelling because of all the pressure that a culture can put on a person, on his family, right? That's the story of the Maccabees. Everyone caved because of the pressure and the persecution. It's so hard. I think that's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. The world hated me. They're going to hate you. Well, why do I pick up a cross? Because they're going to murder me. And if you follow me long and hard enough, they'll probably do the same thing to you. We're called to be different. You are different. You are like the Maccabees who loved God and were loyal to his laws and his ways. You know, the Maccabees... They were like, let, live and let live. You know, they're just minding their own business. They're not bothering anyone around them until those around them came to bother them, right? That's the story of the Maccabees. They came and they said to the Maccabees, hey, you got to step it up. You got to obey the mandates of the ruling power. You got to embrace the paganism all around us. The Maccabees were under tremendous pressure. You know why? Because a whole bunch of people who had resisted were already put to death. They had a decision to make that day. Would they stay faithful to God and his law or be martyred? Now, they chose the third option. They decided to martyr other people. I'm not recommending that, by the way, okay? But they said, no, we're not going to bow, and we're not going to also just be your doormat and let you martyr us. So they did. They picked up arms, and they defended themselves. And over a period of time, God championed their cause. And through a number of miraculous interventions, he took a small group of farmers and overthrew the superpower of the day, amazing in every way. We're called to be faithful to God. We're called to love Jesus, serve him, walk in his ways, even if it costs us our lives. This is what it means to be loyal 
to King Jesus to be faithful to the covenant. And this is who I believe we are. Do you realize when, when you think about it, you think, hey, man, can I ever you know, withstand all that pressure? Or will I cave? No, you can withstand it because Christ in you is the one that causes you to persevere. You'll pass the test. I'm convinced because God in Christ is who empowers you to overcome the evil. So take your stands, get some grits, live for Christ and let the chips fall where they're going to fall. You're eternal anyway. You're in, your life is indestructible. Though you die, yet shall you live again. This is the story of the Maccabees. This is the story of Hanukkah. This is the story of dedicating our hearts and our lives to our king. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, in the final crisis, when everything's gone bad and the enemy's been given the right to trample and, and really hurt and martyr the people of God, there's a season that's just so, so bad, right? We find this passage, Revelation 14, 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints. Here, here are these courageous, faithful ones that cannot be broken, that will not bow. And who are they? They are the ones who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. They won't deny the, the Lord, and they won't compromise on his, on his ways. That's our legacy. That's our mission. That's our mandate, to obey and follow the Lord, regardless of what it will cost us. The ability to persevere under the enormous pressure of pop culture is based in our love and allegiance to Jesus as our Savior and our King. We need to confess that He is both Savior and Lord, is what Paul says. Everyone wants the Savior, not necessarily the Lord, right? Because if there's a Lord, that means you're, you're compelled to obey Him. That's who a sovereign king is. A sovereign king has subjects. The subjects are called to obey the king and his law. Yeah, our perseverance is when we commit our lives to who Jesus is and commit our lives to the law of our God the king and his law. And in that construct, God empowers us to overcome every and any obstacle. Back to John chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man sent, sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. John shared the good news about Jesus so that people would believe through him. John, the, you know, he's with his disciples, and what does he say about his disciples? All these people that are leaving, I'm telling you, they're not offended with me. They're going to prepare the big party for Gary and Cindy, so it's okay. Don't frown at them. Don't throw shade at them. All right. Okay. Just thought you should know. John shared the good news about Jesus so that people would believe through him. John says to his disciples, when Jesus shows up, he takes his disciples. And John had quite a following, right? And G John points to Jesus, tells his disciples, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
I must diminish so that he can increase. He was directing his disciples to follow Jesus now that Jesus had arrived. John loved to testify, loved to point out that in him is the light and life of God. In him is the Savior of the world. When you think about it, Jesus gives us revelation. Jesus helps us understand our world and our circumstances. He gives us an orientation to history so that we can understand why the world is so dark and cruel. It's in him that we understand what sin is, what shame is, the fall of our parents, and how we got caught up in all of that, right? He's the one that comes and shows us that our sins alienate alienate us not only from God, but our sins will alienate us from each other. You all like sheep have gone astray, each of you to your own proclivities, your own little dark caves of sin and shame. And in the end, you're alienated even from each other as you look only to your own flesh to meet its own cravings. And that's a very dark and lonely and even desperate and tormenting place. And Jesus shows us how to come out of that. It's the light of the world that comes into the world that calls us to confess and renounce our sins. He doesn't say, quit sinning. He doesn't say, overcome sin. He realizes we're in bondage. We can't get out. We're trapped in our prisons of sin and shame. He says, this is the way out. Confess it. Own it, right? Confess it and renounce it. How do you get free from any sin problem? You admit to God. You agree with God. God, it's sin. I'm involved in sin. I confess. I am in sin. I chose it, and now I'm trapped by it. That's your first step in getting out, being honest with your sin, bringing your sin to God, confessing your sin, beating your chest three times, saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. That takes humility, because we all want to just kind of live in that delusion that we're okay, and that we're good when we're not. So he calls us, confess and renounce your sins. Whatever it is, I confess, Father, I'm involved in this, this is wrong. I renounce it. I renounce it. You'll probably continue to stumble in it for a season, especially if you're in bondage, if you're addicted. It takes a while to break that, but it starts with being honest with God about your sin, confessing it, renouncing it, and asking God to, del- to uh, deliver you. You, you know, I'm, li- I'm like everyone else. By the time I was uh, in college, I was pretty messed up. I've lived my life hard and fast. That's, that's how I've always lived. Ever since I was a little kid, everything was hard and fast. So I really got into some areas of sin early in life and pretty fast and went pretty deep. And I was really, really, really off track, really messed up. Yeah, you know, the way out is saying, God, I'm messed up and I can't get out myself, but I'm trusting in you to get me out. I trust in you for my own obedience. That's the beginning of getting free. And I want to tell you something. 
have lived in freedom for a long, long time now. It took a while to get into it, but once I got into it and began to walk in that, I can tell you every sin bondage that I had through Christ, I found freedom. So I don't care what you're addicted to. I don't care what has gripped your life and you feel like I can't change. I want to say, yes, you can. But it's only going to be through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you confess and say, I'm a mess and I'm all bound up, but I'm asking you to set me free, over a period of time, if you press in, and stay humble before the Father and real with whatever it is you're dealing with, God is going to come and open your prison doors. And you're going to walk out five steps forward, three steps back, but ultimately you'll get into a place of freedom and you'll look back and say, man, unbelievable. I didn't think I would ever be free of this. And now it seems like it's a whole different life. In fact, I, it feels like I'm a whole different person. Yeah. Yeah. That's the freedom that we find in Messiah. He's the light of the world. He's the life of God. And this is our season of freedom. This is the week that we celebrate our liberation. Hanukkah is the story of religious liberty. It finds this fullness in Jesus who sets us free from all of our sin and shame. So we confess, we renounce our sins, and that we receive Jesus as our Savior and King. I'm a sinner, but I'm done with it. I renounce it. Father, I turn to you. I receive your Son, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. It's in that moment that we get awakened, born again. For those that are born again and are struggling with addictions, it's okay. You're still a son. You're still a daughter. That doesn't change. But your path to freedom is very similar. You're not receiving Christ. You already have Christ. Now you're calling on Christ to be your liberator, your deliverer. And he will do that for you. He loves you. But you're going to have to trust in him and get serious with him and cry out day and night. And at one point, that door is going to swing open and you're going to find your path out. And it's going to be by His Spirit that you walk out into freedom. So He calls us to come out of the darkness and into the glorious light and life of God. We show that new allegiance to the light by getting baptized in Him. That's our first step of allegiance. It's our first and greatest act of spiritual warfare. Baptism because it's a public proclamation that I've changed my allegiance from the serpent to the lamb. You don't think that's going to get the serpent's attention? When you publicly say, I'm done with evil and I choose the good, I'm leaving darkness and embracing the light of Jesus, that I renounce death and I embrace life, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is not only my Savior, but my new King, whom I give my allegiance to. Oh yeah, that will precipitate a lot of blowback from the enemy. And that blowback is not just spiritual. It's also in the natural, isn't that true? Because the serpent has offspring. 
Genesis 3, the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And they battle day and night, light and darkness, children of the light, children of the darkness. So we get blowback spiritually. And then also there's some people who are so deceived and so filled with jealousy and hate that they'll lash out at you as you step up and share the love of God that's found in Jesus. They will lash out at you. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's what Jesus endured. And the reason he endured it is because he saw you at the end of the line. He was able to endure the cross because he was thinking of you and me and the glory that would come. And so we can endure for a little while some persecution because in the end we have eternity. It's worth it all. This is why John is sharing the good news of Jesus with people all around him, bringing people into the light of Christ. And that's why we share it today. Verse 8. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Note well that Jesus is not just the light. He's the true light. That tells us that there are, are false lights. There are many impersonators, if you will. But that Yeshua is the only true light. I said it before, I want to say it again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No other way. He shines the light on the one and only path to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through him. You say, well, what about all those people that didn't hear about him? Paul says, oh, they heard him. They heard about him. Yeah, his handprint is all over creation. The stars, the cosmos reveals who he is. There's enough revelation of who Jesus is that even if they don't hear from a Christian missionary boiled down into the gospel, they're still responsible for the light that was given to them, right? He's the one. Listen to this. He comes into the world and he enlightens every man. He shines on everyone. He gives light to everyone and every human being. He is the light of God. And every human being encounters the light in their life. Every human being will be judged based on whether they received the light of Christ or rejected it. That is the basis of judgment. So in summary, we are to confess and renounce our sins, receive Yeshua as our Savior and our King, get baptized and join a Bible-believing church. In doing so, you will not only enter into life, you will have begun a journey of illumination, meaning, and purpose forever and ever, a forever life without end. Thank you, Jesus, the true light of God, who lights us up like Hanukkah menorahs. He's the source of all light. Matthew 5, verse 14. This is a very interesting shift in this whole Hanukkah drama. 
Jesus says something very, very, uh, well, shocking almost. He tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He makes the point later, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Insinuating that he's leaving that they'll be left alone without him, that his time with them will come to an end and he's going to leave. So he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, suggesting that the light of the world is going to leave the world in the not-too-distant future. In John 12, 35 and 36, Jesus says to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. He's clarifying. It's going to get more and more pointed the closer he gets to the cross event that I'm going to leave. The light of the world will rise and ascend into the heavenlies and will no longer be in this world. He says, but yet, if you embrace the light, even though the light leaves, you will become sons and daughters of the light so that my light will continue in this world, not through me, but through you. You are the lights of this world. We are not supposed to be sitting around waiting for Jesus to do something to impact our society, our culture, our nation. Actually, he's counting on us to do that. He says, I've given you my light. My light is in you. You are the light of the world now. You're the light of the world. You go and let that light shine. Testify of me. Bring people into my kingdom, my kingdom of light. That's our job. What a glorious job that is. We got to get better at that, by the way. We got to, you know, we got to get better. It's so, you know, we're going to have to just get some thick skin because there's a lot of rejection out there, right? But it's worth it for everyone who comes into the light that they would find the hope of God in Christ Jesus. Matthew 5:15. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Whatever the issue is, you, the light of God, you bring in the light of God's truth. Whatever the problem is, right? Bring in the light of God's solution. Whatever the need is, bring in the light of God's presence and provision. That's our job. We're the light bearers. Verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. Do good works. Use words too, right? But do good things to people around you. Be that light of Christ that gives that unconditional love that does good things for those around you. In so doing, you will be like Jesus giving light and life to those around you. So in summary, a couple points here. 
Pray and look for opportunities to do good works. Understand who you are. You're the light of the world. So you look for the opportunities to shine the light in the darkness. Look for opportunities just to do good things. Maybe really small, almost insignificant things. But what you'll find is they reverberate and they bring about tremendous change. Pray and look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Pray and look for opportunities to light, to bring light into every realm of our society and world. Whenever you speak out and bring light into anything, you will be persecuted in your careers. Whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, a janitor, a coach, doesn't matter. When you bring light, the light of God's ways, you will be persecuted. You say, well, how am I going to make a living, right? He's your provider, not your employer. He's bigger than your employer. Live for him. He'll make a way for you. Honor God. He will honor you. I found that to be true over and over and over. That's what all the stories of the Bible show us and speak to us. Do not hide who he is and do not hide who you are. I say get it out in the open right away. Take a couple punches and then it'll all even out. And over a period of time, through your good works and kindness and compassion, the lost who are persecuting you will love you and come to you and look to you for answers. They will thank you in the end. They will hate you at first, but thank you in the end. And remember, whatever you do, do it with love and do it with joy. No grumping. Man, put a smile on your face, right? Turn that frown upside down. Don't scare people. Don't use King James language. Just love people. Be real. And let that joy just come out. That's what people are looking for, especially today. The world around you is waiting and counting on you, whether you know it or whether they know it or not. Whether they know it or not, they're waiting and counting on you. All right, so uh, if someone will go and get Veronica, it's time to celebrate Hanukkah, right? Remember that in him, uh, the darkness is dispelled. He is the light of the world, and now he lives in us. So happy Hanukkah, and have a merry, merry festival of light.